With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, right, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, Taco Fall, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. Welcome back to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA and Parquet Press. Uh, Sam and I are here, back again uh, on a Friday with another guest, and per usual, I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Tom Westrom here with Mass Live. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tom, I know has been on the podcast once before a little while ago, uh, when the season wasn't canceled, and it was much happier time. But uh, we're here, <laughs> waiting for the season to come back July 30th. And uh, just recently, the NBA opened up sort of a mini free agency, I guess you could call it. Uh, Some teams with open roster slots or missing pieces are signing players like Trey Burke just signed with the Mavericks, uh, David Nwaba to the Rockets, and things like that. We're seeing players opting out like Avery Bradley. A lot of stuff going on right now, so I want to start off by getting your thoughts on that. What do you think about these players opting out, uh, how it affects their teams? Just like, are you okay with it? Do you respect their decision? Do you think it's a good idea? Or just your overall thoughts on the situation? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think it's I think any player who doesn't feel comfortable with this setup should feel comfortable not going. I mean, especially when you look at what's going on in Florida, like obviously like players aren't like the highest risk, you know, when it like when they do, you know, contract COVID. But like like if they do get infected. But I mean, it's a scary disease. Like it's very unpredictable. We don't know much about it yet. And, you know, just by having games come back, the NBA is asking its players for a lot. And Obviously, the players get a lot out of it, too. Like this is, uh, you know, they get to, um, you know, they 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 get to recoup a lot of the money that's going to be tied directly to the salary cap. Like this all kind of comes together. But, um, you know, th- it's still a huge ask. And I think any player, especially when you look at like somebody like Avery Bradley, who has, you know, who, ha- who has a son who's, you know, got health problems that he doesn't want mm-hmm. him to be exposed to the virus, like that kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think it's I think it's entirely reasonable for anybody who doesn't feel 100 percent comfortable with this to to opt out. And I hope that, you know, I hope that players don't feel pressured to opt in, you know, just like we saw Evan Fournier the other day tweeting, like, you know, you don't really love your team or whatever yeah. if you, and I, I just think that's stupid, man. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a lot of reasons that this could go really badly for some guys. It's an unprecedented situation. And I think uh, people definitely need to be kind of understanding um, that, you know, if, if you haven't learned over the last three months that some things are bigger than basketball, like, I don't know what to tell you. So. Yeah. I saw the Evan Fournier tweet. Yesterday, I think my brother showed me. I was just kind of shocked that he would say something like that, especially with, uh, how Avery Bradley explained the situation with his son. Now he's had respiratory problems and obviously would do nothing to try to like – that would affect your family. Like if family safety is obviously the priority in the situation. So to see another NBA player, like let alone anybody, tweet that at Avery Bradley, it was basically directly added at him. So I, I don't know. It was a pretty crazy thing for me to see. Uh, actually happened Sam what do you think about the tweet and just what happened yeah it's kind of insane like do you think they'd all be kind of in it together and like you got guys picking fights with each other over it and like obviously like your family comes first that's why you play the game for the most part obviously they love it but like you have to support your family and that's what Avery Bradley said is that like he plays to support his family and he doesn't want to put them in danger by going to work so it's obviously a respectable decision and anybody that needs to do that should Mm -hmm. um but it does seem like they are doing everything they can to make it as safe as possible for everybody involved. So that is good from the NBA, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're under a lot of pressure to try to, you know, make sure this is as safe as possible. It's going to look really bad if, like, somebody does, you know, somebody who who may have, you know, not known that they were at risk, like, due to health problems, or you know, somebody who, um, you know, if somebody gets coronavirus and and you know, you know, God forbid, does have like a very negative reaction or worse, like, you know, that's like that then then the NBA takes on a lot of uh, a lot of water that I don't think it can kind of afford right now. So they're going to be really careful about it I think both from caring about the players but also just from a business perspective like it it makes very little sense for them to you know just kind of throw something together haphazardly like they'll look really bad if they end up doing that. So we'll see. I mean I think you know it sure sounds like the the players and the GMs who who are going 
um, feel pretty good about the Orlando plan. Um, I, you know, I've been pretty on the record um, on, on my own podcast, just about like, I think that this is probably not the greatest idea in the world, but I also get why they feel like they have to do it. So, I mean, if everybody agrees that this is what they want to do, like, I, I just, I, you know, I, I really hope that I'm wrong. I hope it is a great idea and I hope it goes, you know, perfectly. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. The whole bubble thing just seems a little weird to me, especially like players like Kyrie spoke out about it, although I'm questioning his morals after the whole starting his own league thing. But I guess that's another another conversation. But overall, I, I feel like the state of Florida is not really helping the case of the NBA at this point. There Aren't there coronavirus cases skyrocketing at this point? Like they're just doing nothing to help the situation at all. <laughs> yeah, Florida, Florida is something special. <laughs> like I saw something today, I think, it was the numbers are getting really high in Florida. Ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, and like that's not good because obviously, like that's where they chose to yeah. restart the mm-hmm. league. And I saw people talking about the NHL has like hasn't chosen yet. They mm-hmm. want to do something similar, but like they were saying, smart for the NHL not to choose because of what's happening in Florida. Now that the NBA picked, like they kind of look kind of little bit little bit stupid for picking Florida. I mean, not stupid, but like, you know, they, no, yeah. they could have made a better decision. Ahead, yeah, just, it looks a little funny in the light when, you know, the like the reason that you picked Florida was because it was one of the states that opened up. And then the reason that Florida is spiking is also because it's, you know, one of the states that opened up and said the professional sports could come back. So it's, you know, I mean, you could you could say like the NBA made a decision it had to make. You could say that, you know, they, they rushed into it like they're I don't know. It kind of depends on your perspective on that. But um, I, I think that, yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Like it's this is um, this is a decision the NBA made. And, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if they made it too early or not. I feel like there's not many other places they could have brought it back. Like Disney World's such a unique location where there's obviously like golf courses, there's a resort, which I mean, NBA players don't have to live in luxury, but it's just so easy that they'll have this space to move around in. And like, I know Stephen A. Smith, I think, uh, brought up like, oh, they should have done it in New York or something. So you just expect NBA players to sit in their hotels for three months. Like there's not much to do. You can't close down the businesses. You can't close down an entire like avenue of New York. So um, it's a very unique situation that I think they had to choose yeah. Disney. In terms of the bubble, like the bubble plan to keep everyone in, like how how would you do that in New York? You can't. What are you going to take like a couple like or like a, a borough of New York and just close it off and be like, all right, this is ours now. No one comes in. No one leaves. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I think that's why it always made the most sense to like Florida. Um, the Disney World plan always made like the most sense for the bubble, and then I think the like obviously second was probably Las Vegas, where there, um, you know, there's entire basically like entire stretches that for a long time, you know, of hospitality that were being you know mostly unused. So, um, you know, Las Vegas went back to obviously went back to work and kind of opened up a little bit, so that um was less safe. So, I mean, Florida definitely makes the most sense um from that perspective because you know, like you said, you can't really ask a bunch of people um you know whether they're used to living in luxury or not. You can't really ask like people to to show up to your plan and then sit in their hotel room and, you know, just kind of be by themselves the whole time. Like that's, that's a really tall ask. And it's, it's, it's going to be tough enough that teams that are going to be there for a while are going to have to go at least seven weeks without their families. Like that's, that's a pretty rough ask in itself. So I think they made, I think they made the best of a bad situation. Um, if we assume that they had to come back. I agree. Yeah. I know we've asked some of our other guests on the podcast about this, but what do you think the uh, standard is going to be? Do you think they'll let just immediate family only like wife and kids? Or do you think they'll expand it a little bit for like, say a guy isn't married, doesn't have any kids. Do you think he'll be able to bring his parents or his girlfriend or what do you think the restrictions are going to be? I don't know if they've released them yet, but yeah, I don't think we've seen the exact numbers. My guess is that it will be, it won't be like, you know, it, it'll be less about like how the person is related to you and more just like a limit on the number of people you're allowed to bring. So, you know, maybe they'll say like, okay, you can have two people come and join you. Maybe they'll say like, you know, one person, but if you have like a family, you know, then all your kids can come or something like that would make sense to me. Um, but I, again, I, I just think it's going to be less about like the sheer numbers, um, or I think it's gonna be more about the sheer numbers and less about, um, you know, how the people are are technically related to you. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that'd be smart. I don't think you could ask uh, like a player that's young. I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't off the top of my head. Like Luca obviously isn't married as far as we've seen, at least as far as I know. Maybe I'm an idiot, but <laughs> um, like you can't ask him to be away from the family he lives with on a day-to-day basis when Gordon Hayward's bringing his wife and daughters and, and son. So 
they'll have to find a, like you said, a balance or um, a way to do it. That's fair to everybody, but moving on towards like the more basketball side of things, less the uh, logistics uh, we're seeing, like I said, Nawaba signing with the Rockets, Cody's, I mean, Tyler Teller with the Spurs, Cody Zeller's in the Hornets. Um, do you think these little signings are going to like impact anything? And even more than that, do you think the Celtics should make any of these signings to maybe improve the bench, which is in, in fact the second worst in the league right now? Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I think, I, I mean, to, to your first question, I would say not really. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there might be some like things around the edges yeah. that some of these players can add, like the Sixers, obviously, um, you know, bringing in some shooting, like there, there's, there's aspects that can be helped, but I mean, I just don't think like, you know, I, I don't think that that signing, you know, somebody who is like close to the end of the bench or, or wasn't signed elsewhere is going to necessarily like topple a team like the Bucks, you know, or, or that's going to like topple LeBron and the Lakers or something like that. Like those, I think, assuming that everybody shows up, those games will be decided like usual. Um, I think by just like how well the superstars play uh, against one another. And then obviously like supporting cast will fill in as well. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I think it's going to make a huge difference, maybe a, a little bit. I think that the, where it could make a big difference um, is just obviously if, if guys, if like a team loses a lot of players or if a team, uh, you know, or if like some guys on a team get sick and um, you know, you can look at like positionally, like that might make sense. Like say, say the Celtics are, are down a, you know, a point guard or two. And uh, like, I, I would, this, I'm, this is speculation. I'm yeah. not, not reporting this, but I mean, like I, but like say they brought in, you know, Tremont waters, which I think mm-hmm. is, is one of the guys that they will probably um, bring with them to Orlando. Like, you know, at that point, then yes, that makes, you know, a big difference. Um, but, you know, we'll see if that happens. Um, as, as for the Celtics themselves, I would expect to see them um, just kind of bring in their two way guys. Um, from my understanding is that teams um, aren't getting extra roster spots. They have, they're basically just allowed to bring two more people. So like they can bring their two way guys if they want. The Celtics obviously have 15 guys on their roster Um, bringing their two way guys. I think they're still, I don't think they're, I I definitely, they're definitely not ready to give up on Tremont waters who obviously had a phenomenal season in the G league. And I don't think that they're ready to like give up on taco either. So I think they're most likely to probably just bring those two guys along as you know, some form of backup just to kind of keep them with the team, keep them working out, keep them engaged. So we'll see if that's the case. Um, you know, they're, they're, the Celtics are pretty deep at most of their positions. So I think, you know, I, I don't think they need to go out and say like, hey, we need to we need to bring in some kind of wing. We need to bring in some kind of defender like they've got a lot of pieces at a lot of different positions. So I, I think that just by bringing those two guys in, you know, kind of keeping a couple of really promising prospects with the actual team would have a lot of benefits for them. Yeah. Speaking might be. of uh, Tremont waters, we, we are both really high on Tremont waters. We think he's uh, a really solid piece that could become a solid backup in the future. What do you think of Tremont waters, Tom? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's shown a lot this year and, and obviously he played really well in Maine. Um, you know, I, I think that there's defensively, I think that there's, there's, he might be a little bit over overhyped at this point. I know, you know, he's, he's played really well in the past. I just think it's going to be overhyped. Isn't the right word. I I think that there might be expectations that are being placed on him defensively that are going to be tough to live up to. He's, you know, obviously got great hands. He's really aggressive. He's really smart. He knows where to be, but you know, he's still, I mean, the the guy's like five, nine, like he's really, really short. Um, you know, I'm right. I'm I'm six, three. And I like, tower over him when we're in the locker room bizarre with an nba player but um but i mean he's but he's so skilled like he's just he's so smart he's such a good passer he knows how to how to manipulate the defense he knows how to get where he wants to go he knows how to score despite his size he's a good shooter off the dribble and off the catch like i i think that he definitely has you know probably a pretty lengthy career in the nba ahead of him uh he's he showed so much this year um I, i would i would anticipate him being around i think What's interesting from the Celtics perspective is what this means for Brad Wanamaker going forward, because the other the thing about Brad Wanamaker is that he had a really good season. Like for a while he was shooting 50, 40, 90, um, right. but he's, uh, you know, a free agent after this season. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Tremont is, Tremont is really talented. Wanamaker had a really good season. Like we'll see if the Celtics think that, you know, Tremont is ready to step into that sort of backup role. Yeah, I think I, it's, it's tough because, uh, Everyone was really hyped about Carson Edwards. Now it's looking like it's the other way around. Tremont Waters is the one that's going to earn that backup position in the future. Yeah, it does look that way. I will say, in Carson's defense, um, I think that this year was always going to be a massive adjustment for him because one of the things that's made him so good over the years is that he was always the go-to guy. You know, he was always 
Like he always had the ultimate green light. Um, and that, and that's the case for a lot of guys coming into the NBA that they have to make that adjustment. But it's especially true for somebody like Carson, whose green light was like, Hey, if you want to shoot from 30 feet, we trust you. Whereas in Brad Stevens system, the Celtics were like, no, like you, you have to play. We have a very good team and you have to play a very specific role, um, to, to, to be a part of that rotation. So I, I think that this was particularly challenging for him. Um, and, and I think that that was probably predictable. So I, next year, I think will be a big one for him. If he can, you know, show that he can play within the team system and that his height won't be too much of a disadvantage defensively. Uh, you know, I think there's a real chance that he starts to, you know, crack the rotation a little bit more as a shooter, but he, he needs to do those things. And he, he certainly needs to improve, you know, certain aspects of his game to get to that point. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that point. I think we saw that in the preseason, like when he got a little bit hot against the Cavs and he got a little more leeway because he was making his shots. And at that point, he was just hot. So he had the green light and he just made, what, eight, nine threes in a quarter? Something yeah, yeah. Uh, that was insane. Yeah, I mean, the question I've always been asking is, do you think there's room on the team for two sub-six-foot guards in the rotation, like Tremont and Carson? Or do you think that eventually one not, is going to have to Not like, to mention Kemba being pretty close yeah, to that threshold exactly. as well. Do you think Kemba, I can tell you guys that Kemba is not six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, insider information. You're about to start beef with Kemba. <laughs> uh, absolutely not, man. Kemba Walker is a heck of a basketball player, but he's not six feet tall. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, but do you think there's room for Tremont and Carson both on the team being how short they are? I mean, is there room? Sure. Like, you know, you can, you can pull it off. Like if one of them is your backup, like say you think that Tremont is your, is your backup point guard because Marcus Smart is, you know, he's, he's sort of a stretch six. Like he likes to say, like he's, he can do everything. Um, so, you know, he doesn't really have to be the backup point guard. He can just sort of be your all purpose sixth man. Um, or, you know, a starter if, if somebody uh you know if Gordon Hayward opts out and leaves or something like that um but yeah I mean I, I think that you know there's room for both of them but it would require pretty you know pretty major improvements on both of their parts honestly like I I think that you know Tremont is really good I, I think that it, it it's it's worth remembering that he played you know at the G League level all year and he was great but you know, we're still yet to see him prove that he certainly belongs on an NBA floor, too. So I think both Tremont and Carson, we need to see a lot of improvements from them. And I think that it's going to really help. I think one thing that really helps a lot of young guys after their first NBA season is that now they have an NBA season. You know, now they've seen what it is that they need to work on. Carson, you know, needs to work on his his passing and maybe his ball handling a little bit. Or excuse me, his finishing around the rim a little bit. And, you know, Tremont just kind of needs to keep improving and, and, and uh, you know, take a look at the film. So, Assuming they can do those things, I think that there's reason to be, you know, optimistic if you're the Celtics, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, I feel like – I just think it's tough to have uh, such short, guard, short guards. Excuse me. Uh, obviously, we had Isaiah Thomas for three seasons. He was fantastic, top five in MVP voting. But uh, as a backup, I don't know, sometimes I think you need more length going on to maybe even like – opposite the opposite of Kemba who's also like you said not six feet tall so um <laughs> another thing I wanted to ask you was about the recent reports I know Woj tweeted out today uh 16 NBA players have tested positive for corona out of the 302 tested I talked to Sam earlier this week and I was of the opinion that um since we're still a little bit far away from that July 30th they should be fine good to go by the time NBA teams are supposed to be in the bubble but as we get closer, if there are more reports and it starts affecting uh, these players' ability to travel, uh, what impact do you think that's going to have on the teams, the league in general? Like, how do you think that's going to change everything? Well, I mean, so one, one thing to keep in mind, obviously the NBA has taken on kind of a lot of water from people who I think rightly criticized them for bringing in 22 teams instead of 16, just because it does feel like those you know, those six extra teams, it's, it is just kind of like, like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, are, are the Sacramento Kings going to win the NBA championship? Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. So, but the one right. thing that, that having 22 teams does do is it gives you this like eight game sort of grace period um, that, that will allow guys to sort of, you know, play themselves back into shape a little bit, um, you know, that, that'll get, but it also give them, you know, some time if they do need to isolate for 14 days, um, you know, it, they'll be able to do that. They'll be able to take that time to get healthy and then, you know, hopefully get back on the court and be healthy playing. So, I mean, you know, I, I think, I think the NBA was smart to give itself enough time um, to, to, to give these guys enough time because they knew there were going to be positive deaths. Um, so they, 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 they wrote in enough time in the schedule, um, you know, pushing it back to July 30. 
I think that that isn't really the, the the primary concern. Like to me, the primary concern is just like what happens if you know we're we're six games into the you know into the seeding portion of the tournament, and then there's an outbreak and everything gets shut down again. Like that's that's the real concern here. Not so much guys testing positive right now because I think the NBA has kind of planned for that. But you really there's there's basically nothing you can do to plan for an outbreak. If that happens, I think that you know I think that this whole situation is probably done. Yeah, we we both um, weren't concerned particularly about what's happening now, as as you aren't. But like the future is, like the outbreak you say is um, definitely something to worry about. And we also are huge fans of the eight game playing, like the same reasons you are. Um, being able to warm up before the playoffs is very important. Like we saw someone like Jason Tatum who was on fire before the um, cancellate or the postponement of the season. It would be nice to have him get back up to speed a bit instead of just getting thrown right into a playoff series. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is <laughs> the, the NBA is, is a very physical game. Like you just like you if you you know, if you ever get a chance to just kind of like watch like from how close up like it's 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 crazy. I mean, they're they're going so fast. They're playing so hard. They're hitting each other so hard. Like this is it is just a very, very physical game. And it's it's going to be really like just jumping back into that after an unprecedented layoff like this is just like that, that would have been really dangerous. And I think you look around the world at some of the leagues that have started up, like there's a lot of soft tissue injuries. There's a lot of, um, you know, guys who just probably weren't quite ready uh, for the amount of punishment that they're, that they're, you know, giving their bodies um, just by jumping back in like that. So I think it's really smart. I mean, I think for for some of the really, you know, some of the contenders for whom this matters maybe a little bit more, it also gives eight games also gives their guys a chance to much like a preseason, like like the way the preseason used to be eight games gives them a chance to get back into the swing of things, you know, maybe play three, four five games, maybe sit out a couple, maybe, you know, just kind of intersperse things a little bit so that you can work yourself back into shape so that you're ready when the first round rolls around again. Do you think it'll be a good um feeling out process also for the coaches, like if they have, so we do have these signings happening, maybe not for the Celtics, but other teams to figure out like how they want to rotate their bench, what guys they want to have make the rotation. If you're going to have stars sit out, do you think that will be something we see or not so much? No, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's all going to come into play. Like I, you know, I know Brad Stevens has been, has you know talked about how much, how much time he spent just kind of studying things. I mean, I think that's, that's going to be something that's going to be kind of interesting to watch is like, you know, are there teams like take the Sixers, for example, like obviously, um, you know, they've had plenty of issues this season. Um, you know, they haven't always it doesn't always look very pretty on the court. You know, maybe this this layoff has given Brett Brown time to kind of examine things and try some new things out. And, you know, that's another thing where these eight games could help. It, it, it'll give, you know, coaches who may have had some time to sort of step away and, and watch some film and, and rethink things. Um, you know, a chance to a chance to implement some of that stuff. So, yeah, I think I think that's entirely fair. Like to your point, it's not just the players who who might need to warm up a little bit. Like I think I think the coaches <laughs> can benefit from it as well. For sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, that some people are against the 22 team format saying, oh, those six teams don't have a chance. Like, why didn't you make it 16? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Do you think any of those six teams actually do have a chance to catch the eight seed or do anything of significance in the playoffs? And if so, who? <laughs> well, depends. Uh, depends what you mean by uh, by doing anything of significance. Like, do, I think, do I think they can make the playoffs? Sure. Um, I mean, I think any of these teams could make the playoffs and then get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, well, no, that's not I, that's not true. I think that the Blazers <laughs> and the Pelicans have a chance okay. to make the playoffs. I think that everybody else is, um, you know, just kind of there for no reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it, it depends what you mean by things of significance. Like. I, Zion Williamson could get a a chance to play in the playoffs in his first season. Like okay. that's that's pretty cool. Like if mm-hmm. I, I feel like any of these top prospects who who are able to do that, it ends up being pretty beneficial for them. Like look at Jalen Brown, his first season, and then and then how he bounced, how he came back, you know, so ready to go his second season, and and then his second season in the playoffs. Like he was really impressive. So I mean that kind of thing matters certainly, but I I mean ultimately they're doing this you know, mostly so they can recoup TV money, but then also because they want to crown a champion. And, um, you know, none of these, none of the six teams are going to be crowned champions. So (laughs) if you, you could, you could make the case that, that, that there's, you know, some, some benefit to to some of these teams to get like a few extra reps. But I think honestly, I mean, I think for the most part it, it is, it would have been a lot smarter to just kind of limit, you know, the number of like, this is, 
I, I don't know what the actual number is. Like, you know, probably over 100 extra, certainly over 100 extra people um, who did not have to be in this bubble who are going to be there now. So, you know, for better or worse, um, the TV money will be recouped and uh, they'll, they'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as cool, it is, as cool as it is for Suns fans to get to see some... Uh, somewhat playoff basketball. I don't think Devin Booker is going to be in the playoffs anytime <laughs> soon. But um, other than that, you said that these guys aren't going to win the championship. I would agree, obviously. So there's the Bucks, the Clippers, the Celtics, the Raptors, uh, even the Sixers, I guess. Uh, who's your Who's your pick? Who's going to be in the finals? What's your What's your thoughts on that? Who do you think is going to win it all? Um, Loaded well, question. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, right. If we assume that everybody stays healthy, I mean, I, I think that, it, that the best guess is probably, you know, that it, that it's a, either one of the L.A. teams against the Bucs. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the Bucs are just so overpowering this mm-hmm. year. Like the the things that we've seen from Giannis are are incredible. We've It's been so long since we've seen a guy who could win defensive player of the year and whose MVP case is only kind of built on that. Like the <laughs> fact that he's like he's he's unbelievable. And yeah. Um, this has just been a really special season getting to watch him. So I'm glad we do get to whatever kind of weird version of, of an ending we get to it. I'm glad that we do get a chance to, for him to, to put whatever punctuation mark he can on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the West, I mean, and then obviously in the East too, I, I think that the Celtics are, are certainly contenders to get there. Like I, I would certainly pick the bucks over them, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be like stunned, stunned to see the Celtics in the championship. Um, the Raptors, I'm not a, I'm not as much of a believer in them. I really like a lot of their pieces, um, but you yeah, know, I, I still kind of feel like they're they're a piece away um, from taking down the Bucks. And then, um, you know, the, the Sixers, yeah, if they can get their if they can get their lives together, <laughs> maybe. but I'm like they certainly have the talent. Like I, I, I it's funny how often I, I end up thinking back to that first game of the season and um, just how dominant yeah. defensively they looked, and, and it just looked like the Celtics couldn't do anything against them. So. Um, I'll be curious to see how they come back. And then in the West, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really I think it's basically between the two LA teams. Um, but I don't know. Every year I I'm I'm a big James Harden guy. I mean, I'm I, I just think he's he's an awesome, awesome player. And I, I think that if he is able to I think I think that if he wears down in the playoffs, it's because he has so much put on his shoulders you know, the entire year, because the entire Houston team is built around the fact that he is one of the most devastating isolation players in the history of the game. So maybe a few months off gives him a chance to, you know, to, to kind of rock before the, like to, to rest and then be ready to rock when the playoffs come. Um, so I, I, I could see that, but, but ultimately, I mean, the Lakers and the Clippers are just so talented and they've got so much, like, especially the Clippers have so much versatility. The Lakers have like the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like that's just obscene. So um, yeah, I mean, if, if I were to like make a prediction prediction, I'll stick with my preseason prediction of Clippers, um, Clippers versus Bucks. But you know, if, if it was the Lakers or, or even the Rockets, I guess I wouldn't be like too stunned. Okay. I see that. I know Sam always says that Giannis isn't the problem in Milwaukee for Boston. It's uh Chris Middleton. No, it's not. hundred percent of the time. Also speaking on Philly, um, how do you think this will, we, we've been talking about this like the last three episodes, but it's just interesting to hear all the perspectives. How do you think, um, being in the neutral site will affect them. Or I guess many, like the Celtics too. Like those are two teams you could say really feed off the home crowd, especially Philadelphia. 29-2 at home is unreal. Um, But do you think that'll affect them negatively or it'll um, relieve them of the negative effects of playing on the road against a hostile environment? No, it's a good question. I mean, I've I've thought, you know, I I, I have a hard time seeing Philly making a big run. you know, between all of the dysfunction that they've had, between just like the schematic problems that having Ben Simmons and um, Joel Embiid, both of whom I, I you know, I, I think are immensely good basketball players, but just who don't complement each other at all. And then Horford, who, again, I think is a really good basketball player, but just doesn't complement the situation very well. Um, and then, yeah, it, I, I think that there's there's a lot to that. Like, obviously, the home crowd has, has been really important for Philly. You know, if I were to hazard a guess, I would just having been in that in that uh, arena, I think that it's probably more, um, you know, a question of the fans helping them than of opposing fans hurting them. Like that, that the Wells Fargo center is, is really loud, really enthusiastic, really fun, um, you know, really intimidating. And I just don't think that like, if <laughs> it's 
put it this way. If, and I, I say this as somebody who has attended countless Minnesota Timberwolves games, if the Sixers <laughs> and the Timberwolves played each other in Philly and Philly won because of the crowd, I don't think that Philly's going to lose in Minnesota because of like the Minnesota crowd. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just, I like, I don't think that that crowd is going to intimidate them. So I don't think that it's the crowd. I don't think it's the opposing crowd that it's the problem. I think that it's playing on a different court that can be the problem for them. So I would, I would guess that playing in Orlando will not be much of an advantage for Philadelphia. And I don't know if they've said anything more about this, um, but they did mention like the stipulations for home court advantage in the playoffs, even though there is a neutral site. Um, Do you think that the higher seed matters anymore for the Celtics? I remember, you know, during the real seed or the, the previous regular season, it was such a big thing for them to get above Toronto so they could have that second round uh, home court at the Garden rather than having to play up in Canada where they've struggled immensely recently. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was aside part from home, Christmas. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's partly the home court, but I also think that, it's, that, that, that it was also a big part of just like avoiding Philly in the first round because that is a really tough first round matchup for the Celtics. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, the drop off after six is, 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 you know, pretty significant. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it's more about that, um, than about home court. So yeah, I mean, if, if they could find a way to avoid, you know, Philly in the first round and Milwaukee in the second, like if they can, if they can get above Toronto, I think they'll be in a really good position. Um, that's not to say that they can't beat Philly in the first round. I I certainly think they can, but you know, (laughs) it's, it's certainly a lot more uncertainty to face, um, you know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in the first round than it is to face, like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. And Karis LeVert. Yeah, Karis LeVert. I mean, look, like, any Celtics <laughs> fan who's going to write off Karis LeVert should be reprimanded because that man... That man <laughs> I was at that game. It was brutal. <laughs> well, you were probably there, too, because you cover the team, but I was yeah. there as a fan, and I paid money <laughs> to ride the bus from school. And <laughs> it was it was not worth it. Yeah, It was very... Uh, I almost asked the, the bus driver if I could have a cigarette because he was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, yeah, and now no. months later, you're glad that you didn't have a cigarette because uh, I am. I'm very my lungs are glad. <laughs> uh, it was tough to watch. Uh, I mentioned earlier this podcast, but uh, Jason Tatum said he's still thinking about signing that max contract sometime soon, even though there's obviously the risk of uh, salary cap issues or even getting hurt and these little stretch in Orlando. What do you think of that news that's broke? After Windhorse broke the news, the shocking news that Tatum is looking to sign an extension in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, like, he will – yeah. put it this way. He, he will be <laughs> offered the max extension by the Celtics because the Celtics want him around because he's a young superstar. So, like, he'll get his max extension this summer. Like, I think pretty much whatever happens in Orlando. Like, I have a hard time – you know, thinking of anything, um, you know, obviously knocking on every wood imaginable for him, like health wise, but um, it's, he's, he's the future of the team. Like they've, you know, they've pivoted um, to, to, to like building around the young core of Tatum and Brown. And that makes all the sense in the world when you saw what happens this year. Um, So he will, they'll offer him a max extension. Um, He will probably sign it because that's what guys coming off the rookie extension do. And then the Celtics will have, you know, basically four years to, um, you know, show him that this is a place where he can win and, um, you know, show him that it's a place that he wants to stick around. So um, I think that's, that's going to be really important for them to do because, you know, Tatum is not from Boston. Like this is not his home. So, um, you know, he, he's been here for a few years and I think he, you know, I think he likes it perfectly well, but I, I don't think that, um, you know, I, I think the Celtics are going to need to prove to him that it's a place that he wants to spend a long time. So, um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that we heard obviously was that he was part of the group of players who was asking for some form of insurance um, on their, on their contracts, because a lot of these guys are going to get, you know, Donovan Mitchell will presumably get a max mm-hmm. deal this yeah. summer. I would, I would anticipate that Bam Adebayo will get a big deal. Um, so, I, I mean, again, I, I'm sure that these guys are looking for that money. I, you know, I, I think that they will probably, I think they'll be fine. Like they will probably get their max extensions. Um, you know, even if they do, you know, God forbid, suffer an injury. Um, but yeah, that I, I, I would not. <laughs> I, I would say that the. <laughs> It's 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 a pretty good bet that yeah. the Celtics will offer him a max deal and that he will sign it this summer. Let's put it that way. Even even if he doesn't, even if that say that didn't happen, or say like they couldn't reach an agreement, right? Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though they one hundred percent will, he's going <laughs> to be here anyway because they're going to match whatever anyone else offers him. Of course, yeah, for sure. Like if he goes to, well, I mean, and it would just it would be a very strange 
The, the only way that I, I think that um, this could go like really south on the Celtics, and again, this is exceedingly unlikely because he has not made um, you know the type of generational money that NBA superstars make yet. But um, he, you know, like he could, uh, for example, if he couldn't come to an agreement with the Celtics, they could go to the summer, you know, sign the qualifying offer, and then he could agree to a deal with another team for like a year or something like that that the Celtics could then match. But again, that's not going to happen. Like he's 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 going to be offered a you know a four year deal, and guys who are coming off their rookie extensions, like almost without fail, will take the the mm-hmm. max extension. Yeah. I just I just can't see a scenario in my head where Jason Tatum is in a Celtic next season and in in the very far future. Uh, knock on wood, obviously. But um, but yeah, I know Sam wanted to bring up uh, a new I guess segment you could say we're starting on the podcast. Yeah. So uh, Sam, take it. Yeah, away. we've we've been having guests. You know, we have guests every week. Uh, and one thing we've been consistently talking about is like, do you have a favorite um, piece of Celtics merch that you have? Jerseys, <laughs> memorabilia, whatever. And what's the story behind it? Sure. So um, a weird thing. So like when you're a beat reporter, like it, you don't like like that stuff is just kind of always around. Um, right. And, and, you know, like I like I'm, I'm not like a Celtics fan. You know, I'm a, I, I enjoy covering the team. But, you know, I, I like them winning or losing doesn't like necessarily affect me emotionally, if that makes sense. But okay. um, but I, I will say that one thing that I, I do have that I that I that I, I uh, was was pretty happy to get was um like I was able to, uh, my, my dad is, is a huge Celtics fan. So over the course of the 2018 playoff run, um, I, I just basically like for, I think it was for father's day or something like that. I collected, um, you know, t-shirts and like the, that were on the, uh, like the, the chairs and stuff like that. Um, I'd collect like the t-shirts, they gave out like some commemorative magazines, that kind of thing. Um, basically anything that the Celtics gave out, um, that was like, Hey, like you, you know, you were at this game. Here's your little souvenir. Um, so I, my dad, uh, you know, is, is not a, a multimillionaire who could afford to go to every single Celtics playoff game. But right. um, I was I was able to give him like, you know, some uh, some stuff from the road, some stuff from home. Um, so that, that was a cool one. I, I was glad that I was able to uh, that in that 2018 run was obviously so much fun. Um, just, just a yeah. lot. So that was a uh, uh, I, I liked being able to do that for him. So you said you're not a Celtics fan. Uh, what what team did you grow up uh, supporting and cheering for and everything? Well, I mean that's and that's kind of the interesting thing. I actually did because my dad is a big Celtics fan. Um, you know, when I was younger, I did grow up a Celtics fan, and I I lived in Iowa, so I was also kind of uh, I also followed the Timberwolves. Um, you know, spent a lot of time, yeah. obviously watching games there, which is why I can speak with some authority <laughs> on them not having the uh, loudest fans in the NBA. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I was I was, you know, a Celtics fan who who paid attention to the Timberwolves as well. But again, you know, when you become a beat writer, that just kind of fades away after, you know, yeah. not yeah. too long. Do you have a favorite uh, experience of the Garden, like favorite game you've mm. been at, like covering? Yeah, I mean, so I would say that, like. Just like from pure fun perspective, like the the, the 2018 run was was electric. Like it, it was it was a ton of fun to. Uh, I mean the the Sixers games were fun just because there was so much trash talking going back and forth. And then the uh, um, obviously the Cavaliers games were fun because it it kind of looked like the uh, kind of the upstart Celtics were going to take down the old guard, which was which was really impressive against LeBron. But I think like the most memorable game that I was at at the Garden was um, the. The night that I it was, I, I believe it was just like the day before Isaiah Thomas lost his sister and um, in that in the car accident, and it was it was a very different experience. Like the Celtics lost that game, um, so I mean it it wasn't even like a like the game itself wasn't that memorable, but just kind of watching, um, you know, just from like an emotional perspective, watching like fans kind of pick up um, Isaiah and just kind of like show him, you know, you're like we love you, we support you, like we're we're so sorry for your loss. Like we're feeling this too. You know, we, we feel this along with you. Um, that, that was a really powerful moment. Um, just like from a, from a human perspective to, to get to see that. So, you know, I think that's, that's one of the games that when I, you know, whenever, uh, like whenever this is all done, that's, that's going to be one that I, that I really remember, I think. Yeah, that wasn't, Mm -hmm. I actually was lucky enough to be there as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, That was truly special. Um, it does suck that they lost, but honestly, like, I like to go back and watch highlights of that game just to see how excited people are getting for him in general. It was really awesome. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was a different, like, it was just a very different vibe. Like, it wasn't, you know, like, again, like you said, they lost, and it was just kind of like, yeah, that's not really the point. Like, that's not really why people are, are, like, paying attention and cheering for this game. Like, they just wanted, you know, they wanted to show Isaiah that that they 
were there for him and that they wanted to, uh, you know, support him. And I, that was that was really special. That was a really cool moment. Are you a part of that? Then they lost the next game, and it was a little bit scary. That, yeah. that was when it got scary. And then Gerald Green started, and they uh, they pulled it out. So, <laughs> Gerald yeah. Green. Oh, my God. The nine-finger assassin, I think they call him. Mm-hmm. Um, are nine you, and a half. <laughs> are you Give a part of – Give him credit for all of his fingers. Oh, yeah. My bad. My bad. Sorry, Gerald. Of course, you obviously listen to all of these. Um, <laughs> are you in the part of the crowd or the – the party that says bringing Isaiah back to Boston is a good idea. Obviously he did so much for the city. He was a great, it would obviously be great uh, to have him back, I think, but do you think it makes sense for the team where they currently are? Um, no, I don't think it does. I mean, I think, and I think honestly it would probably be, I think for Celtics fans, it would honestly probably be kind of more sad than anything because like, He's gone through so much, and at this point, I just physically—I don't think physically he is what he was before. And I mean, what made him so special was that he was, um, you know, the engine. Like yeah. he was—he was running everything, and mm-hmm. that will not be the case if he comes back. And I think that he might chafe a little bit at that because, you know, he was a, like a—I a, mean, for two years he was a superstar. Like he was amazing. Um, and that, I don't think that's ever going to be the case again. And I don't think he would start. I don't. And I just think it, it would just look so different that I almost feel like it would be unrecognizable. And, you know, if, if he played poorly, there would be people who would be calling for him to be out of the lineup. And there would be people who, you know, maybe he would get booed or something like that in the garden. So, I mean, I think like and, and you know, like I, I know that sounds ridiculous now, but like, I, I you know, I think that that could happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in the long run, I think it would just be kind of, you know, kind of depressing for Celtics fans and, and probably just wouldn't be that good for either party involved. So kind of a, I, I think both parties would be smart if they kind of left it as a, a leave them wanting more rather than, uh, rather than kind of bringing him back for one last hurrah. Do you, going back to the, um, you know, the questions before, do you, is there, a, who's the most fun player to talk to or interview on the team? Cause you get to talk to the players, right? Yeah, for sure. What? Or, um, Maybe not on the current team or just in general. You can do both on the current yeah, team. Yeah, no, uh, no, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I really enjoy talking to Rob Williams. He's, uh, he's just like a very interesting dude. Um, like a, just a, a very strange guy, but but a very interesting one. Um, and and he's like he's very funny. Um, I think most of the time intentionally. Um, <laughs> I I really enjoy Grant. Um, he, he's just like a, as personable as they come. Um, and, and I will say, like, Jason Tatum is not easy to talk to during, like, scrums because he hates scrums, and I, I have a hard time blaming him for that. Um, but when you get him one-on-one, he's, he's a really interesting guy. Like, he's, he's very funny. Um, he's thoughtful. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I do enjoy talking to him quite a bit. And, you know, I think a lot of the time when you talk to him one-on-one and, you, you know, you can kind of show him, like, like, <laughs> I'm not just asking you stuff about the game I just watched. I'm asking you stuff because I've been doing, like, research on something or I, I want to, like, I have, like, a specific angle that I want to ask you about. Like, he'll give those questions a lot of thought and he'll, he'll give you some, you know, some interesting answers. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's probably – those are probably the three that I enjoy talking to the most. Oh, and I should – Javante Green is, a, is an absolute uh, – is an absolute pleasure to talk to. He's very, very funny um, and, uh, you know, pretty personable as well. That's awesome. I hope we get to talk to some players someday. We've been trying to get Grant on forever, <laughs> yeah. even though like we have no way of going about that. Hoping like, a dream, tweeting at him. <laughs> but like, like you say, like he seems like he's super cool to talk to, and he would definitely be fun mm-hmm. to do like an hour with or whatever. Yeah. No, nah, for sure. I mean, he's he's a good guy. We on my, my podcast with Nicole Yang, he was our he was our first guest, and he um like he just you know sat down. We had some technical difficulties, and he we just kind of like chatted for a while while we uh, while we tried to figure everything out. He's he's great. He's a uh, very nice guy, a lot of fun, very genuine. So, yeah, he seems just like a super funny dude that can make anything uh, hilarious. It, it's interesting you mentioned that about Robert Williams, though. I've never heard any stories about him. He always just seemed like the really quiet type to me. Is is that how he is in general? <laughs> um, you know, he's. I would say that he's not like he's not somebody who's going to speak up necessarily um, all the time. Like from what I've seen, I mean, again, like I'm not there behind closed doors. I don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like. I mean, what, like one thing that always cracks me up is that like, I, I like, you can't go through a conversation with him without him like cursing a couple times. And usually like, they're pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but I mean, I've, I don't know. I, I've always just really enjoyed the way that he sort of says things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like, it, it's hard to explain without that. I mean, you can, uh, yeah. if, you, if you're interested, you can search on mass live for like stories that I've done on him because 
Like I, I can't help myself, but basically <laughs> just include every quote that he gives me. Um, so, I mean, you can, you like, he's, he's funny. He, he's, he's certainly worth talking to if you ever get a chance to, he, I wouldn't, I would say that he's like pretty soft spoken, but not in a way that he's like uncomfortable speaking by any stretch of the imagination. Like he's happy to like to talk, um, but he's yeah, he, he's he's pretty, I think, like quiet. I think you could say he's quiet from a decibel level, not necessarily from like a personality. Level. <laughs> OK, OK. That makes oh, sense. OK. Yeah. Interesting. I've just never heard any stories about him. Like whenever we asked uh, our guests this question, like I feel like we've asked a few other guys this. I always mention, like you said, Grant Williams is a big name, smart sometimes, but I've never heard anything about Robert Williams. It's really interesting. It's really interesting to hear. Yeah, well, if, if you ever get a if you ever get Nicole Yang on here, she will she'll say pretty much the same thing I do. I, I think <laughs> I think the main reason we have a podcast together is because we agree on Rob Williams. So <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Do you think uh, speaking of Rob Williams, I guess to get uh, more on the basketball side of things, do you think he's going to fit well into the rotation once the Celtics get to Orlando? I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, I think that his development over like this stretch, but then especially next year, is, is just going to be one of the really fascinating storylines to watch because um, you know we'll see if Ennis Cantor takes his player option. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't, just because I, I think that the Celtics don't. Uh, I don't know that that he's always had um, you know the role that maybe he expected he would have this year, um, which is kind of his own fault for being terrible at defense. But I do think <laughs> that. Um, you know, I think I think that like Rob, like there, there's so much that he needs to work on still, and he is working on it, which is which is kind of the interesting thing. Like his defense is really bad, um, just like truly atrocious. Um, he's never in the right spot. But the thing is, he knows that, and he's working on it. And obviously, he's got all this, you know, all this untapped defensive potential as a, as a rim protector with great length and unbelievable athleticism. He he can do a lot. Um, so and, and then offensively, like you know, all, all like. It's funny watching him offensively because defensively he's never in the right spot, but offensively when he gets the ball, he's such a good passer. Um, you know, I, I think he can probably do a little bit more um, than he's currently being entrusted with. So I, I think that in Orlando, I don't necessarily think he'll be a major part of the rotation. Like Daniel Tice has been um, just unbelievable this season, given everything that he's been asked to do. And then I think that we'll probably see a little bit more Grant at center. Um, I know the Celtics are very, very pleased with how he's come along um, defending positionally, um, just you know, keeping guards in front of him and that kind of thing. He wasn't doing that at all at the beginning of the season. So I think we'll see some small ball center with Grant. Um, we'll probably see some Ennis, depending on the, uh, depending on the, the matchups. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think Rob will play some, but next year will be the year to watch. Like next year, I think he will probably be the backup center, um, you know, behind Tice and, and next year will be, I think probably the year where the Celtics really evaluate whether he can be the starting center of the future. Because again, you know, with him, you'll be looking at a, uh, a rookie extension after next season and we'll see if he, uh, if he puts himself in line for that. Yeah, I think like you say, next year is a big one. Like, I think he does have really good potential to be like. Uh, Clint Capella type I feel like it's funny with centers like you see players like Clint Capella Bam Adebayo like they kind of like emerge all at once I wouldn't say out of nowhere because obviously they do have that potential to be good but like they do become stars and even like someone like Hassan Whiteside like they become stars like all at once and I hope that can happen for Robert Williams yeah, and I mean, you know, again, I, I think it all comes down to the defensive end. Like he, like right now, he's not great when he has to slide side to side, um, despite being pretty quick. Um, you know, he just he he's not super flexible um, in that way. I think he would benefit. I think actually he would benefit from the types of workouts that Shemi Ojale does. Shemi's huge on flexibility and on uh, you know just kind of staying limber, um, which you have to be when you got that much muscle packed on there. But um, I think Rob, you know, he's 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 got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, I, I think that, but I think that if he does kind of emerge in that way that you're talking about, it's going to be because it's going to be entirely because of the defensive end. Like <laughs> they don't need him to score. They've got tons of scores. They'll be fine. They, you know, if he catches the lob here and there, that's great. But, um, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that the Celtics need him to do at this point is on the defensive end. You mentioned semi Uh, this is nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I thought about it. Were you at the game? Uh, I don't know if you traveled to this one, but where Kemba Walker ran into the boulder that is semi abs and scared the entire Boston area. Yeah, that was that <laughs> scared was, everyone. Yeah, that was just us. <laughs> that, that, honestly, that was I was there. That was that was a really scary um, moment. I yeah. mean, like 
and, and you know, I, I, I'm obviously like, it, it was tough too because Shemi and it like felt really, really bad about it. Like he was really broken <laughs> up about it. Um, well, yeah. You know, it, it, like I, I, I remember after after that trip, like the first practice back, I I talked to Shemi about it, and he. You know, I didn't want I didn't know how to go about it necessarily because it was like that's a tough conversation to have. Like, hey, man, like everybody thought that, you know, that something really bad had happened to Kemba because he yeah. ran into you. Like, <laughs> do you blame yourself? You know, like that, that's like a, a tough question. Yeah, to ask. right. So, yeah. yeah, of course. Um, but he, you know, I, I, he did. He, he felt really bad, um, you know, even though, again, it, like nothing that could have been done. It wasn't his fault. But um, just just that that moment was was really scary for Shemi, I think. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I um, should probably go without saying, but everybody's obviously thrilled that, 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 that was only, you know, a couple of games thing, but yeah, that was, that was a really scary moment. It was really scary to be there. And, you know, the Celtics were definitely pretty shook after that happened. I just remember watching on the TV and I see Zemi usually come over and then a second later, Kemba's on the ground and I had to watch the replay. I'm like, what, what the heck happened? And you just see this brick wall run right into Kemba's neck and I would be terrified to run into that man. Samuel he looks like he weighs 500 pounds and can deadlift twice that. Like he <laughs> terrifies me, but I don't know. That was just, I just thought of that when he brought up Sebi and how strong he is. I thought that would be an interesting question to ask. <laughs> yeah. He's a, uh, he's a powerful young man. Yeah. Speaking of futures, what do you, what do you think of Sebi's future here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, so he's, he's an interesting case because I personally think he had a pretty good year. Um, and I know like the numbers don't necessarily bear that out. Like, especially some of the advanced numbers, like it, it doesn't necessarily look that good for him. But I mean, I think offensively he, he started to hit threes, which was like, if you watched him in practice, it was always like befuddling to watch him miss threes in games because he was a great three point shooter in practice. And not only that, he was a guy who worked and worked and worked and worked at them. So it was, it was really strange to see him missing these open spot up threes. And then this year he finally started to make them. And I was like, okay, that makes a little more sense. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be more than probably like a three and D guy at this level, even though that wasn't his role in college. He was, you know, kind of a primary scorer in college, but um, I, I think that that's probably where his, his, his value lies. But the thing about Shemi is that he can guard certain guys in the league one-on-one. And, you know, even if he does give up points to those guys, the fact that your entire defense isn't contorted by having multiple people go guard LeBron James, by having multiple people go guard Giannis, like the fact that he's able to do that one-on-one and at least give like a competent effort and keep other, and like allow you to allow your defense to keep other guys covered, that really matters. So I think, you know, I think he's got a future in the league. I think, his future with the Celtics kind of depends on, on what his market looks like this summer and beyond. Um, but I, I think that he's going to be around for a while. I, I don't think that he's going to be one of those guys who, uh, who's just out of the league after, after a couple of years. I, I think he's going to be in the league for a while. And I think as his three point shot develops, um, you know, I, I think that he could put himself in line to, you know, to maybe make some real money down the road. I hope he gets to stick around because like you say, I've heard he is a hard worker and obviously you just said that too. Um, you know, I think he has potential to, be um, a good rotation player, especially here, especially with defensive matchups like LeBron and Giannis. So I hope the Celtics do keep that because that is valuable. I mean, they have Marcus, but Marcus yeah. isn't his biggest semi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they also have Grant, who's like an Al Horford light, I guess. <laughs> um, and he has yeah. potential to be similar to semi, but semi's already kind of there and he's always been doing that even since he was a rookie in the 2018 run. So yeah he's got the experience doing that in big games. No, for sure. And I mean, you know, he's like, he like, like Grant, like it, it, I think, I think there's something somewhat underrated to having a bunch of like, just like really strong dudes, like just like guys (laughs) who like, like, honestly, like when, when somebody runs into you and like, you don't go backwards, like that matters, you know, like that's, that's how a lot of guards in the NBA get their offense is by kind of like, you know, getting to the rim and kind of like, just giving that guy that little bit of nudge to knock him off his spot and get, get your layup up. And like, right. Like, you can't really do that to Grant and Shemmy. Like you got a couple of like uh, <laughs> very, very powerfully yeah. built guys. And, and I think, I think that matters. So, and I think the other thing just to, to, to note about Shemmy in terms of, of the Celtics is just like, you won't get a higher character guy. Like he, he's, he's just mm-hmm. a really, really good guy. And I know the Celtics have, have kind of prioritized that over the last couple of years. Cause you know, it's not, it's, a lot of it is about talent, but winning isn't just about talent. And, and Shemi certainly fits into that mold, you know, perfectly. He's he's just a really, really good dude. It's funny you bring up character. We were talking about uh, 
earlier in the week we were talking about like the free agents, you know, if the Celtics were to sign somebody like other than Isaiah Thomas, people were saying DeMarcus Cousins. And I, I personally, I think you also said no, Jack, but um, yeah, like we were yeah. talking about that character. Like he doesn't really fit in here. And it's yeah. funny, like you mentioned that. I didn't really notice how they do bring in like all these guys that turn out to be really good guys. Like this team is really likable this year. Unlike last year, like there are pieces of the team last year that were likable, but like as a whole, it wasn't. And uh, I guess that is what they went for this year. And it's working right now. It seemed to work really well all season. Yeah. And they also targeted guys who would be willing to buy into their roles, which I think was really important after last year. Cause I think the thing to remember about last year's team is not that like, it's not that Terry Rozier and Marcus Morris are bad people. Like the, I, of course I, like, not. I like, like those guys especially a lot. Marcus. I would say like, I mean, he was a really good guy. Um, but I mean, I think it was, it's more about just like, look, like <laughs> Marcus Morris is, sees his role as a go-to scorer. And what the Celtics needed was, and like sometimes Marcus Morris justifies that role. Like there was a stretch last year where it wasn't ridiculous, you know, to say that he was in the all-star hunt. Yeah. Um, he was unreal at the beginning of the season last year. For sure. So but what they needed was they needed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to develop. And, you know, they, you know, kind of needed that primary initiator uh, initiator. So, you know, they got Kemba and they just sort of like cleared the path, um, you know, like from especially from the bench to uh, to give Tatum and Brown, you know, give them the reins, basically like you guys, you guys are driving, you know, and enjoy. And that really seemed to pay off. Now, obviously, um <laughs> They did not have a strong bench this year, um, you know, for for whatever reason, <laughs> like it just didn't work. But yeah. um, that, but I think that the trade off, you know, at least in part, was that guys who needed to develop into primary options did develop into primary options, and we always knew that Jalen and Jason had that. We always knew that that was a possibility, and um, you know, they were able to do that. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think the character is a big part of it. And I would also say about Demarcus Cousins, it doesn't help that he's just not very good anymore. Um, but <laughs> right. The uh, but like the character stuff, it does it does matter to the Celtics. Like and and I think that uh, you know, not just character in terms of he's a good guy, but character in terms of you know he fits what we're trying to do and his personality and you know like the way that he plays the game fits what the, what the Celtics are trying to do. So yeah, like to your point, that that really did work out this season. I always um bring up when you're talking about like guys fitting into their roles, playing into the strengths that the Celtics need. I'm always, uh, I've always said that the uh, biggest downside of the Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas trade outside of giving away, like obviously Isaiah and Kyrie didn't turn out that great. Jay Crowder would be so great for this team. I think my, that's my opinion, but like his defense, his ability to just knock down his shots and play his role, I think would fit in so well on the bench. So I'm always, I've always been really upset that we gave him up in that deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he was an interesting part of that deal because yeah. he was, um, because he was on one of the most valuable contracts in the NBA at that point. Like mm-hmm. he was on like a, like a five year, $35 million deal, which is just like obscenely cheap for somebody like for a, a versatile wing, which is what he was at that time. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I really liked Jay. I liked talking to him. He was, he was a good guy. I had something I was going to, Oh, so <laughs> we were talking about character and Marcus smart is probably the most Probably the fan favorite of the team in terms of people that actually play. You know, Taco, everyone really gets hyped for Taco when he gets in the game. Marcus is, I think, what most people think of when they think of a Celtic. And it's really funny that we were talking about character because the Celtics are like one of the few franchises when you like you say like a Celtic, like there is a certain um, mold that you have to fill to be a Celtic. And do you think... I, I mean, this is kind of a weird question the way I'm wording it, but like, do you think if Marcus <laughs> Smart um, like stays here, that he could potentially get his number retired? I say yes mm-hmm. if he wins. If they win with him on the team, he will get his number retired. I could see that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's certainly in the cards. Um, you know, if he remains in Boston, like to your point, like he's a such a fan favorite. Um, you know, such a popular member of the team. Like, and I think like. Just from a practicality standpoint, I have no idea if the Celtics would consider this or not. But like the other nice thing is, I don't think anybody's really clamoring for the number thirty-six. Um, like yeah, that's not exactly. Really people, like, people care that much yeah. about. Like if he had, if he was like, you know, number eleven, and that is a number that like guys might want coming in. Then like you know, I don't know, maybe. But uh, just the fact that he's that he is so beloved, the fact that like yeah, like if if the Celtics do win a title while he's. Um, while he's in Boston. And yeah, the fact that 36, you know, aside from him and Shaq, it's not really a number that people choose. Um, I, I could see it. 
Those two share a birthday on March sixth. Really? Fun fact. Oh, is that what that. it is? Huh. I actually, yeah, I don't know it. if that's why they picked it, but like it's just kind of <laughs> coincidence. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. I've always been of the uh, the belief that Marcus could have his number retired, especially if he wins a championship. It's weird to me that he's the longest tenured Celtic uh, at this point in time, but he's always been a fan favorite of mine, and I know Boston, but. Um, this has been great. I think we can start to wrap it up a little here. I don't know if there's any closing statements or anything you wanted to say. Uh, feel free to plug your Twitter, everything, anything you want, Tom. Uh, obviously you have a bigger platform than we do, but anything we can do, uh, we just really appreciate you coming on the podcast. So for sure, uh, anything you want to say today, yeah, anything you want to say. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. No, yeah. If if people want to check it out, um, my Twitter is at Tom underscore NBA. Um, check out, uh, you know, I write for, I'm a beat writer for mass live. They can check us, check my, my stuff there at, masslive.com slash Celtics. And like I said before, you know, I've got a, a relatively new podcast with Nicole Yang. It's called Geno Time. It's on the Blue Wire podcast network. So if, oh, that's uh, such a good name. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I love Geno uh, Time. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely workshops. There were a lot of names thrown around. I, so one that got vetoed, you, you guys tell me, one that got vetoed by Blue Wire was the Only 19 podcast. That would have been funny, right? Jason Tatum, he's only 19. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Or is that or is that too inside baseball? No, I like that. I was thinking banners for a second. I'm like, haven't we won 17? Uh, yeah. No, that's like, a yeah, that's a I strong right counter. All right, that's a strong counter. No, now that you explain it, though, I like it. That, I, it would have made sense. Well, but I, I think that I think that's that's the that's the argument against it, right? Okay, it's like, yeah. oh, now that you've explained it, I get it. Like that doesn't make for a good name. Yeah, so okay, all right, okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, Geno Time is perfect. Though. I'm a big fan of that name. It's that's solid. Um, but yeah, Sam, anything you want to say to close this out? Uh, no, thanks again, Tom, for coming. Obviously, um, Parquet Press on Twitter. Uh, this is really all I'm doing right now, this podcast. I'm lazy <laughs> still, so I need to be unlazy. I really do. Um, but, yeah, this has been a blast. Once again, th- uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, I'm Bannertown Jack on Twitter. Obviously, follow Tom and Sam. They're both great. Uh, and, yeah, thank you guys for listening to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA and Parquet Press. Uh, catch you guys next time. Peace out.